Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. When you hear the word heir or heiress, what do you think of? Money, money. (laughs) Maybe you think of royalty, right? A prince or princess who's in line to the throne. Perhaps you think of a wealthy socialite or a Rockefeller, a Vanderbilt, someone whose good fortune was granted along with their name. Who you probably don't think of are Jolt or Jeza Pilati. They are two Hungarian brothers who in 2009 were homeless. They were living in a cave outside of Budapest. They were selling scavenged scrap metal to get by. Until they learned that they were heirs of a German grandmother that they had never met. The men's late mother was estranged from her own family. And so while they knew or thought that their mom had come from a wealthy family, they'd never had any connection with her family. So you can imagine their surprise when in their 40s, these two homeless brothers learned that along with their sister who was living in the U.S., they were going to inherit their grandmother's fortune her nearly $7 billion fortune, right? It's the kind of inheritance story that we can't help but like, because it's not a story of the already rich getting richer. It's a story of good, great good fortune coming to those who least expect it. And by that measure, we hear a great inheritance story every Sunday. Because every Sunday, we tell the story of how God in Christ has adopted us, made us his children, and we proclaim that as his children, we are heirs with Christ. We are heirs of God's kingdom. That's what we pray every week in the post-communion prayer. We thank God that in the holy mysteries of communion, God assures us that we are heirs of his eternal kingdom. So we're continuing our series this week on what it means to be church. And we're using this post-communion prayer as our guide, as an encapsulation of what it means to be a worshiping community. And this week, we are considering that part of what it means to be church is to proclaim and to embrace the reality that together, we are heirs of God's eternal kingdom. Now, to really embrace that truth, there are two things we need to understand. One, what it means to be God's heirs, and two, what it means that our inheritance is God's kingdom. And those are the two things we'll be looking at today. So first, what does it mean that we are God's heirs? Well, just to be clear, the language of being an heir of God isn't 
only found in the post-communion prayer. This is one of those many, many places where the language of the liturgy is borrowing the language of scripture. The terms heir, inherit, inheritance, these are found all throughout the New Testament. And things that are promised that are as inheritance are things like eternal life and salvation, promises, a new heaven, a new earth. So being God's heirs is a thoroughly biblical concept. And in the Old Testament, there were laws that regulated human inheritance. The simple principle was that your children were your heirs. They inherited whatever wealth or property you might have upon your death. And that inheritance was parceled out according to certain rules. First, the inheritance went to a man's sons, with the oldest receiving twice what the others did, and also receiving the responsibility to care for the women in the family. If there were no sons, then the inheritance went to the man's daughters, but only if they didn't marry outside of their tribe. There were provisions also for what happened if a man died with no children. There was an ordering of relatives of who would receive the man's property. But the point is that, generally speaking, to be an heir meant that you were the child, and most likely the son, of the one who was leaving the inheritance. So when we say that we are heirs of God's kingdom, then what we're saying is that we are God's children, because children are heirs. It's the logic that Paul captures in Romans 8 when he writes, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, to say that we are children of God, that's a phrase that gets tossed around pretty easily these days, and I think it loses some of its impact. We hear it within the church, but we hear it outside the church as well. But to be a child of God is no small or obvious thing. And so I think it's worth trying to recapture some of the awe that this truth should prompt in us. So here, the words of John in the first chapter of his gospel. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then in 1 John chapter 3, the first verse of our reading this morning, John writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. The NIV puts it this way, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. So being God's children... It's not just a matter of course, a matter of fact. Being God's children is a great gift that God gives us. Something that God chooses for us out of his incredible love 
for us. So we are God's heirs because we are God's beloved children whom he has chosen as his children. And there's something else remarkable about this language of children and heirs. See, in Greek, like in English, there's a word for a male child, we say son. There's a word for a female child, daughter. And then there's a word for child that doesn't specify gender, like our word child. And in each of these scriptures that I have quoted, both from Paul and from John, the word that they use is child or children, not specifying gender. They could have said sons or daughters, they didn't, they said children. Now remember, in the Old Testament law, heirs were usually male. Women could only be heirs if there were no men around. But here, in these declarations, we say that both men and women are called children of God. And as children of God, both men and women are God's heirs. I think Paul, in particular, often gets a bad rap as a bit of a misogynist, but passages like this demonstrate that Paul, and far more to the point, God, is actually pretty amazing when it comes to the status of women. So to be an heir of God's kingdom means to be a child of God. And to be a child of God means that we are deeply, deeply loved. It means that we are chosen. It means that we are claimed as God's own, that we belong. Henry Nouwen, that great writer and sage, wrote in The Life of the Beloved, he wrote, The truth even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity, and held safe in an everlasting belief. We may not always feel that belovedness, but that doesn't change the truth of it. We are God's children. And so to be church, to be a worshiping community, means that we together are growing in our understanding of and our experience of being God's children, of being God's chosen and beloved ones. Being church means that we grow in our experience of that for ourselves And we help each other grow in our experiences of that as well. I heard a story once of a woman who um, had found a mirror, or or made a mirror, I guess, and over the top of the mirror was written the word beloved. And she put it up by her door so that every day as she went out into the world, she saw herself and reminded that she was God's beloved. And I wonder, might we be that mirror to each other? Might we help each other remember that as we go out into the world, into all that God has called us to, that we are God's beloved?
So to be children of God means that we are firmly rooted in our belovedness. And to be children of God also means that we have to act like children of God. That's the point that John is making in this part of chapter 3 that we have read. It's actually the point John's making in the whole letter. In verse 9 and 10, he writes, No one born of God, that is, no, no one who is a child of God, makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, lives in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And by this, it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So part of what it means to be children of God is to act in righteousness. And part of what it means to be church is that we help each other grow in righteousness. We help each other grow in resisting sin, not so that we can become God's children, but because we already are. Now, this does not mean that we are supposed to be the morality police with each other, right? But what it does mean is that using wisdom and discernment we should let people in the congregation into the reality of our lives. It means that we confess to other people where we struggle and where we sin. It means we ask for loving accountability and input. It means we offer to each other encouragement and prayer. This is what it looks like to help each other grow in righteousness. So being church means embracing our identity as God's heirs, as his children, and growing in our experience of our belovedness and in our living in righteousness. Being church also means that we embrace this truth that our inheritance is God's kingdom. So first, before we, as we get into that, I think it's helpful to clarify what we mean by the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Jesus uses the terms interchangeably. What do we mean by that? Well, N.T. Wright is really helpful here. Um, Bishop in the Church of England, great theologian and teacher, And in a sermon he preached uh, back in 2007, he talked about this in a way that I find really helpful. So I'm going to quote him at a little bit of length here. He writes, We have slipped into the easygoing language of the kingdom of heaven in the sense of God's kingdom being heaven. But the early church never spoke like that. The point about heaven is that heaven is the control room for earth. Heaven is the CEO's office from which earth is run, or it's supposed to be, which is why we're told to pray for that to become a reality. We've been used to seeing heaven as a place separated from earth, somewhere far away, way beyond the blue, but that's not how the Bible sees it. 
Not at all. Heaven is God's space. Earth is our space. But the point of God's split-level good creation, heaven and earth, is not that earth is a kind of training ground for heaven, but that heaven and earth are designed to overlap and to interlock, which is, by the way, the foundation of all sacramental theology, with the sacraments as one of the places where this overlap actually happens. And that one day, as the book of Revelation makes very clear, one day they will overlap and interlock so fully and forever as the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven to earth. So when we say that we inherit the kingdom of God, what we mean is that we inherit a place with Christ of extending the reign and the rule of God right here where we are on earth. We will experience the consummation of that reign and rule of God when Jesus returns in his glory. But even now, we are part of enacting the reign and rule of God right where we are. Saying that we inherit the kingdom of God means that God has chosen us to be some of the means by which he makes his reign and his rule manifest here on earth, here and now. So what does it mean that we are part of the reign and rule of God? It means that we are called as church, as a worshiping community, to live out the values of God's kingdom. Values like love and service and self-sacrifice. It means that we are called to do the kind of kingdom work that Jesus did, of caring for the poor and the vulnerable, of healing the sick and those oppressed, and of loving those who are despised and pushed to the margins. That is what it looks like to live out the values of the kingdom of God. Being heirs of God's kingdom also means that our primary allegiance is to God's kingdom. There are many things that we sort of pledge our allegiance to. Maybe it's our country, maybe it's our family. There are all kinds of aspects of our identity that we give allegiance to. And as Christians, we don't necessarily have to renounce those allegiances, but I think we have to be willing to, if God calls us to, because all of those allegiances have to take their place below God's kingdom as our primary place of belonging, as the primary context in which we discern our paths, where we should go, what we should do, as we discern the values that will guide our lives. Our primary allegiance is to God's kingdom. And inheriting the kingdom of God, being part of the enacting of God's reign and rule on the earth, that means that what we do 
has effects that last into eternity, right? The good deeds that we do aren't just good deeds that get blown away with the winds of time, right? When we enact these values, these principles of God's kingdom, when we love people and serve them and care for them, it's like we're laying brick after brick after brick of the building of buildings of God's kingdom. So when we join with God by his grace in the action of bringing his reign and rule to earth now, that lasts. Being a worshiping community, being church, means joining with God in the manifestation of his kingdom here and now and for eternity. So being church, being a worshiping community, means that we encourage each other as we join with God in making his rule manifest. It means that we encourage each other as we seek out, as we seek both individually and together to live out the values of God's kingdom to make that kingdom our primary allegiance, to be part of the building of the lasting kingdom of God. We thank God for assuring us that we are heirs of his eternal kingdom. As a church, we remind ourselves and we grow in the truth that we are God's beloved children and that he has called us to be part of the inbreaking of his kingdom here and now. The story of two homeless brothers inheriting a fortune of billions of dollars is a great story. But the story of what God has done for us is even greater. Spiritually, it's not that we were homeless. It's that we were dead in our sin. And God picked us up and brought us to life and made us his children. And he has promised us the inheritance of his kingdom, of his reign, his rule. And that's an inheritance story worth living for. Amen.